Fireflies Unite with Kia, your weekly podcast from the perspective of individuals thriving with a mental illness. We are normalizing the conversation about mental health within communities of color to foster mental wellness and empowerment. So welcome to the Fireflies Unite podcast. How are you fellas doing? If you can introduce yourself. Good morning. Good morning. This is uh, Dr. Max and Madea. Good morning. This is Dr. Pierre Johnson. Good morning. This is Dr. Joe Simeon. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining and taking time out of your Saturday morning because you could be doing anything else besides talking to me. So I'm really grateful. Um, I thought that it was really, really important to have all three of you on the podcast um, as representation truly does matter for Black mental health. Um, the, you know, the mission of the podcast is really to bring light into darkness. And that's the whole meaning behind uh, the fireflies. So people are like, what is the podcast about? I'm like, y'all, it's not about bugs, but it's simply how the the insects, the bugs, they they typically come out at night and they create a light. And so when people are dealing with a mental illness or struggling with their emotional mental health, they often isolate and feel like they're left in the dark. So by talking about it, we're bringing light to it. So my thing is Beyonce has her beehive and Kia has her fireflies. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Um, And so that's the whole meaning behind the podcast is to bring light into darkness by sharing the stories of people of color who live and thrive with a mental illness, but also to normalize the mental health conversation. And, you know, we saw influencers like Jay-Z and Charlemagne talking about therapy and even Charlemagne doing a live therapy session on TV um, and even movies like Black Panther. Um, so children can really see what what are what are the possibilities um, outside of limited careers, such as rappers and basketball players. So one of the things that I usually ask all of the, any person I interview, if you can share if mental health was something that was talked about growing up for any one of you. Um, this is uh, Max. I'm talking. Um, so for me, it was, but in a roundabout way, um, my mom was uh Uh, has a history of uh, depression and bipolar disorder and her particular mental um, health illness um, was manifested for uh, myself and my sibling pretty early. My parents divorced pretty early and part of it um, in their, in the process of them trying to rebuild their lives. um, I looked at my mom and everything that she was going through. Um, She was able to convert her problems into a source of strength. And the reason why I say that is because when they divorced, she was, even though she had her issues and and she would, you know, sometimes she would go on tangents in private for the world or for the public, she was always strong. So she didn't have a lot of support. People, I remember people in, in, in my family, like shunning her and she didn't, prevent that from allowing her to be the best possible mom to my brother and I that she could, she could actually be. Mm-hmm. So as, as I continue to grow up, um, sometimes she would have mental breakdowns and 
um, that affected me in, in, in tremendous ways. I would always, if she had a breakdown, I remember when I was in the sixth grade and I saw she was having a crisis. Um, I was extremely emotional about it. And, you know, when, when you're like that, when you're a child and you see your mom struggling like that, all you want to do is find ways to protect them in whatever means necessary, by any means necessary. But it's extremely hard when you don't necessarily have the insight or the maturity to really understand what's going on. And it wasn't until actually I got older and I started battling certain things when um, life wasn't going my way that I, you know, I looked back and I said, man, my mom was so strong um, when she would, would encounter her challenges in life. And so I didn't really gain an appreciation for it until after I had actually gone through my schooling and training in, in, in medical school. You always have to do a psychiatry rotation and you see the different manifestations of, mm-hmm. um, of mental illness. That's when I was like, wow, so pe- people with this illness can be very, very strong. And it's unfortunate that in society, particularly in our community, sometimes we look at it uh, almost as a sign of weakness. Absolutely. This is, Absolutely. This is Joe speaking. Um, I, I think my my um, experience with mental health was just as common as many um, uh, blacks and, you know, in today's society is. And that is, is in, in my family, my mom was heavily in religion. And so um, the way that mental health was approached in my life was you got to pray on it, you know. You have mm-hmm. to uh, you have to surround yourself or, or go to church, um, um, have the uh, uh, different uh, people in the church pray for you and, and God would take it away. And and to be honest with you, that 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 is a definitely a great sh- uh, strategy. And, and I know and I only can look at it um, and today because now I'm a medical profession and I always joke with my mom and I told her, I said, you know, God put doctors around too, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So we all, so so that um, yes, you could you could get these, uh, you know, uh, you could pray on it. But there's resources that's around that can also assist you with it. And I think that's too common is that um, we just like Max said is that we don't necessarily in in the black community want to be, I guess, um, known as you're crazy. And it's not in particular that you're crazy. You're just dealing with something, you know, and, and I can only look um, throughout my life and um, know all of the transitions that I've taken throughout my life in reference to um, one minute um, being, you know, involved in the church and the other minute um, actually doing things in the streets. So when you look at that, that in itself is a form of depression. That in itself is a is a battle that I was dealing with that I just couldn't necessarily find a way out. And um, mm-hmm. what was significant about that is that when you start exposing yourself and you start opening up um, to people that, that really can help you throughout your struggles, that it become important. So I, I believe in, in definitely within my brothers, um, Max and Pierre, that when I was able to speak with them about my life and they were able to speak with me about their life, that that connection, that bond and that that suppression that were placed was placed on me once before, 
that I tried to keep inside can now be lifted up and that I can speak about it and that I can get the, the mental capacity so that I can help myself and, um, and help my brother. For, for me, I think um, one thing as a community, which we don't see as a mental illness, but most definitely is, is addiction and addictive type behaviors, um, addictive personalities. And we look at uh, addiction as a choice, but and oftentimes, you know, addiction uh, is, is really inherent in a person's DNA and they make, uh, you know, choices and sometimes things that they can't control, really. And identifying addictive type of personalities and behaviors uh, is very key, uh, you know, for us as a community. And I think that there's too many stigmas on it. Um, when you when you look in other communities uh, that are not of color, uh, it, it, it is a real thing. You know, you have movements now. Now we have uh, we, we look at the, the opioid as an epidemic, you know, op opioid addiction is an epidemic, whereas you had, you know, millions of African-Americans and people of color um, that fell victim to the crack era. Um, and it was looked at as, you know, they're just making a choice to do these types of things. And for some people it was, but for other people, and especially in my family, um, addiction is, is, is a mindset too. And it's something that we need to talk about. And it's something that we need to be very honest about and transparent about. And it's also something that we need to um, put our efforts and our resources into addressing it and to helping people um, that have these addictive type of behaviors um, not succumb and fall victim to uh, some of the struggles and things that are, that are ruining our families and communities. Absolutely. Um, I am sitting here, I'm sitting here tearing for so many reasons. And I'm like, girl, you got to get through this interview. You can't be crying. Um, <laughs> because, so I'm the oldest of seven. And my dad struggled with addiction, being addicted to drugs my entire life. My father was in and out of jail since I can remember. I remember seeing my father not nodding off and like being really embarrassed as a kid. And I didn't like want my dad to like come to my school or like any activities I may have been doing, like a fashion show or something or my pageant because I was embarrassed. And as I got older, like, high school, well, middle school and high school, and even a little bit in college, I really didn't want to, I, I started to pull away from my father because I always felt like I was being disappointed and I felt like he was choosing his drugs over me. And through my mental health journey, I, you know, I understand and being educated, I'm working on a mental health certification now. And so like through being educated on it now, I have more compassion for my father because I understand that it truly is a disease. And, but that doesn't mean that I'm not holding him accountable for his actions, but I do have a, a new, um, a, a different way of looking at it. And as I've stated before, you know, a, a level of compassion because of that. And I've also with my mom, watched my mom be verbally and physically abused by my, by, not by my dad, but by my siblings dad. Um, who the guy that the man that my mom is currently with. And I've started experiencing that at a, around like 11 or 12 years old. And I actually link my suicidal thoughts back to those times because that's when I realized 
through my mental health journey and going to therapy, that's when my suicidal thoughts started around that time. And they continue to progress as I've gotten older. And then, of course, I had my suicide attempt. And then um, through work, going to therapy and working with psychiatrists and going to day programs and doing all of that, I'm doing I'm the, the best that I've ever been in my entire life. But it truly did take time. And so when I'm listening to your journeys of, you know, with your mom battling bipolar disorder and family members, you know, dealing with, you know, other family members who we know in the black community, a lot of us have family members who are addicted to drugs or um, alcohol. I, it is truly a disease and it's not a, a sense of, I think someone mentioned it being a form of a weakness. No, there's actually, I've told people all the time that when we reach out for help, we're actually being strong because it's easier to not ask for help. And one of the things that I really want to do with my mission in the podcast is encouraging people of color to get mental health treatment, encouraging them to go to therapy Even when things are going right, it doesn't have to be things are always in a crisis. I tell people all the time, I'm doing fantastic. I'm actually in the process of being weaned off my um, medication, but I still go to therapy because therapy is also a great way to be proactive versus reactive. And also, it's just a great way to identify uh, irrational thinking, to identify healthy coping skills of how to manage stress and how to practice self-care. So I really, you know, to for people to start also making the connection of who they are as an adult and digging deep into their childhood to see where this behavior comes from or this way of thinking comes from. And so you um, gentlemen hit on so many different things that I was glad that you brought up. And I, you know, would like to also ask you if you can share, each of you can share um, a challenge that you faced and how it impacted your mental health, whether it was something through med school or whether it was something through your childhood, anything that has um, impacted your mental health and what you did to overcome it. If you've ever received any form of mental health treatment. And if you did what that was like, and if you didn't, why not? I know that was a lot. <laughs> okay. Um, this is Max from talking again. Um, I, I, I can start with that. I, um, there, there were plenty of challenges and I think we can get it, get, get into it, um, uh, through the rest of the discussion. But, uh, one particular, uh, challenge that I, I, I want to address, um, is that for me, and it's highlighted in our, in our book, Pulse of Perseverance. Um, this was after, um, I graduated medical school and, um, this is when my first year in, um, residency is called the internship year. And I remember, I vividly remember that vividly remember that year because that is, uh, for anybody who doesn't have insight, that is basically the year where, um, any doctor, um, any person who graduates from medical school, that's the very first year that they're training and it's basically, it's very hands-on. This is when you, you're actually dealing with patients and you're literally making decisions on your own. So, you know, you, 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 aren't, you are supervised by your attendings and your senior residents, but this is when the level of responsibility increases for any doctor that's in training. So I remember that year particularly because that was the first year that I actually felt um, in complete isolation. 
there were a few things that I think that were in hand um, that played into that feeling. Um, number one was that throughout my entire educational journey, I was in um, predominantly uh, black institutions all the way from the time from when I was in basically in kindergarten, really. And that was beneficial for me because I think it built up uh, for, for a person who's naturally an in, uh, introvert and not ne didn't necessarily have the most confidence in myself. I think going to those institutions built up a source of a, a form of strength within me. Um, but that transition going to um, feeling like you're you're one amongst many to feeling like, OK, you get into this highly competitive environment where you're actually isolated and by yourself. Um, that's a that's a major transition for for anybody. Right. It's like, uh, you know, it's almost it's almost like a feeling when you're starting a new job or you, you have a new a new change in your life. And um, it's completely different when you you have that change and then all of a sudden there are people around you that don't necessarily relate to you. They don't know your background and they look they may be looking at you from a, a form of condescension like you don't deserve to be here. So um, being I was I was challenged. I think I it was there was there was some self there was some self-imposed pressures on myself that, that was quite natural because I always want to be the best I can be in whatever I can do. However, um, when you are in this environment, you, you tend to get a sense for people's cultural biases as well. And it's almost a feeling like I knew that that first year, whenever there was a question, I was challenged in a, in a room full of people or if an attending hadn't had a question, I knew that my, me, the only black male minority in those rooms, would get challenged first. So that in itself is uh, a lot of pressure. And it, it, it makes it feel like, okay, you feel like you have the weight of not only trying to be the best, best representation for yourself, but also the best representation for those who may be coming behind you. So you have all of that. You're dealing with all that pressure because you know the weight of history and you want to make sure that you don't get this door closed so others can come behind you. So you always want to put your best foot forward. And then it's also trying to change other people's uh, views about um, black men in this profession, whether or not it's a space that we can not only survive, but also a space that we can thrive. So all of those pressures led me probably to my deepest form of depression. I remember like me and Pierre, we talk every day, but I wasn't even talking to him. And I wish, I personally wish that um, I was a little bit stronger because I went through a, a dark phase for a good six to seven months. And I did not seek the help that was required because I was scared. I was scared that if I went to my program director in this dog-eat-dog -dog environment or my chairman in this dog-eat-dog -dog environment, that they would actually shun me away and they would look at me like, you're weak, you cannot survive or thrive in this program, right? Because they're not, they don't know what that feeling feels like to be completely isolated and not have anybody that you can really relate to on a foundational level. So the only thing that really helped me there were two people that really helped me during that phase. And that was um, my mom <laughs> um, at the time, because 
she 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 I always looked at her like as a source of strength, like how can you be strong? How how did she function when she was going through those things? So we we developed a deeper bond. We we would talk every day. And number two, the person who was with me at the time was uh, my current wife. We were she was my fiance at the time, and she moved in with me. And them both allowing me to just express my frustration in a non judgmental way helped me tremendously. And also. Um, he, he, uh, my wife is heavily religious, praying with me every single day and giving me a more uh, a more spiritual foundation helped me through that period of time. Yeah, th- thank you for sharing that. It is really important that one thing that I heard was having a support system. And a lot of times people don't realize the value in that or they simply don't have that. And so that's something I'm really fortunate to have. Um I I always tell people all the time that they can pray and go to therapy at the same time. We do do not have to pick one over the other um, because I remember feeling like I was actually shunned. Well, maybe shunned is harsh. I I felt misunderstood um, from the people in my church uh, family when I opened up about my suicidal thoughts. I was told to, to speak in tongues. I was told to just pray about it or you're not praying hard enough or you... You know, like I made, I felt like I, I lacked faith in God and that ultimately pushed me away from the church. Like I didn't want to have anything to do with church people. I didn't want to have anything to do with God. I wasn't listening to any gospel music, I, but I still had people, of course, who were praying for me. But when they would tell me things like that, my eyes would just kind of roll in my back of my head. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to hear that um, because I'm like, you know, you don't understand what it's, you know, what it's like to the point where I got to the point for eight months straight, I was thinking about ending my life and then I couldn't suppress it anymore. Cause as I've stated, it started back when I was like 11 or 12. And then when I could no longer suppress it anymore, I was like, Oh no, I got it. This is it. I got to give into it. And, you know, thankfully I had text a friend and told my friend that, you know, I wish I was no longer here. And her instance was to call someone to to get there. So the police showed up, but I didn't know at the time that she was the one who called. Um, and so when they arrived about whenever, I can't remember the length of time, maybe an hour later, they, they arrived there. And so at the time I, I was a little bit out of it because I didn't have anything to eat or drink in about mm, three or four days. I had drank, um, well, I had taken, I don't know how many pills and drank, a bottle of wine. And my hope was that I would just go in my sleep. But in the time that I was waiting to die is when the time was when they showed up. And so that's what it was like for me. And it was, that was like my first encounter kind of like with the, Oh, not necessarily the mental health. I actually stopped going to therapy because I was like, this isn't working. But then after that experience, I started going consistently um, with a black woman who I've been working with for almost four years. She's awesome. And, um, but I had to, you know, I was forced to go into the, the psychiatric unit. And I remember saying like, I don't want to go in there. Like I have a degree from Howard. I have a degree from Georgetown. Like people like me, we don't come in places like this. Like that was my way of thinking before this right. experience. Like, and I remember telling the lady in here and she in the psychiatric unit and she said, You're in here because your brain is sick. Your brain is an organ, just like your heart is an organ and your brain is sick. And so you're just here to take some time away from the world and get better. Of course, I was terrified because 
I, the only images I saw about the psychiatric unit was the stray jackets, people looking like mummies, you know, walking around. And I mean, of course, there were some people who were talking to themselves or people who accidentally pooped on themselves. Like there were things like that. But um, because mental illness is a broad spe- spectrum, but I realized through that it was a, re- a life changing experience for me that, in fact, I did belong there. Because I was sick and I did need help. When I got to the hospital, I was dehydrated. I didn't even know. I think I knew my, I'm pretty sure I knew my name, but I didn't know like what day it was or like the time it was. Everything was kind of like, I was almost having like an out-of-body experience. Um, And so I'm really glad that you shared that. So if anyone else wanted to chime in to talk about any challenges that they have, how they faced it, and if they ever sought um, mental health treatment, and if not, why not? I, I, this is Joe speaking. Um, I can only, well, that's many, many challenges uh, that I I have um, that has been a part of me um, throughout my life. And even even today, those challenges continue to arise. Um, but one of, the, one of the biggest things that actually happened to me was um, um, throughout my life, I knew uh, that I wanted to be the best I can be. And I knew I wanted to, to be successful in life. It's just my exposure led me to other things and being involved in other things throughout my life. But when I finally got things together, um, and I remember um, getting into medical school, um, I was in medical school and I was doing well. My grades were well. Um, however, there was a test that that's actually a, a, a board exam that you need to to pursue your medical career. Um, that's called the USMLE, and this is an exam um, that that is used to gauge you in efforts to get into residency. This is when you learn your specialty um, of what type of physician you potentially want to be. Um, and I remember taking that exam, and I felt as if I was prepared. However, I did not pass the exam. And when I didn't pass the exam, that really put me back to say, you know, how did I get to this point after everything I've been through through my life? How did I get to this point? And now it's basically over. I'm not going to be able to pursue the, 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 the goals that I had. Um, and I felt down. I remember um, right after that, uh, not too long, um, because I found out my brother Pierre, he actually failed the exam also. And not after after long that, I remember going to this program. And when we went to this program, um, it was a program to try to help us to to um, prepare for the exam. No, no, that was actually, that was before. It was the program was to actually help us to prepare for the exam. And when I went to this program, I remember feeling down. Um, because I still felt as if, you know, we was learning all this material, but I, something wasn't clicking, you know, because I don't know if it was just that I just didn't know how to take the test at that time or what, but something wasn't clicking, and I felt extremely down like I was a failure. Um, and I remember being so depressed um, because, like I said, I thought that I wasn't going to be able to accomplish the goals that I, 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 I was going to accomplish. But one of the ways that um, we dealt with it together is when, um, like we said in a book, when I moved um, to Chicago and we joined together to encourage one another 
so that we both can achieve uh, the success that we that we set out. Um, and that was a, a big challenge for me, um, but it just goes to show um, the importance of um, surrounding yourself around people that have a like mind that's potentially dealing with some of the same struggles that you're dealing with, um, but have a goal and set for themselves and for you um, of accountability um, so that um, you can achieve what you need to achieve. Um, I'll put a, a footnote on that too, um, and that's a, a quick thing of what you actually um, was was speaking about. And um, and I only can draw back on um, what I actually tell um, some of the nurses that's around the unit at the hospital. And um, that's number one. Um, mental health is definitely a disease, and I don't think for one reason, one one point, that um, people wake up in the morning and say they want to do crack. Or people wake up in the morning and say, today is the day that I want to kill myself. I don't think that's how it goes. So it's evidently something um, mental that's going on. And um, just like I, I mentioned previously in reference to in my family, um, it was more of a thing that, you know, go to church, pray on it. Um, and, and when I look back and I reflect about all this stuff, I, I realized that they were actually saying are trying to help the best way they knew how mm -hmm. the best way the best way um that they seen their mothers and their mother's mothers um tell them how to deal with stuff so they was doing the best that they can and i think that's why it's important for for um, you know podcasts like this um awareness becomes extremely important and that's awareness in in the community that's awareness in the churches that's awareness in the schools um, it becomes very important to, to for people to realize that um, there is help that's out there for you, and it doesn't necessarily define you as a person to say that, you know, if you at these units um, and you're trying to seek help, you're not that stereo the stereotype that people put on, you're not crazy. It's just that you have a different imbalance in yourself that needs to be adjusted. It's just like somebody that has um, um, high blood pressure. Um, they have an imbalance in themselves that we use medication um, to balance it out. So um, it's one of if if someone can take um, blood pressure medication and then somebody can take uh, antipsychotic medication or antidepressant medication, it should be almost looked at as of the same. It's just an imbalance that needs to be worked out. Yeah, I'll, I'll just speak in, be quick and speak in generalities, um, you know, just a, a about like the power of our book. And the reason the Pulse of Perseverance is, is such uh, an important um, piece of work is not, you know, not only just because it just shows that, you know, three black guys that are making it. Um, and, and a lot of folks will look at that and say, OK, well, it's inspirational. They made it so so on and so forth. It's more so important in the context of how we did it. And what happens in, in, in our communities is that, you know, kid, you know, the media wants to per make it seem like and, and wants to give the perception like, you know, kids from our communities aren't driven. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. You know, the, the, the fact of the matter is the kids are extremely driven. But there are a couple of things that are wrong. One is that they don't see examples of success. 
and more importantly, they're underprepared to tackle the, uh, the the obstacles that will come on their path to success. And a lot of times when they go to these universities, there are no support systems. There's no understanding of their lack of preparation. There's no understanding uh, that they need guidance to get to where they want to get to. And it's not a, uh, a matter of intelligence or can they uh, mentally uh, are they mentally strong enough to get to where they want to get to? It's simple. It's, 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 it's as simple as, uh, you know, somebody running a hundred yard dash and you got a bunch of kids that are already starting at the 50 and then you got someone that's just lagging at the zero and you're expecting them to all get to the finish line. So a lot of these kids are starting at the zero with absolutely no preparation um, to tackle the pre-med curriculum, to tackle uh, a law curriculum, to tackle an engineering curriculum. And what happens is, is that, you know, you get these driven kids in these positions, like ourselves, the, the three of us, um, you get them in these positions and they're faced with failure for the first time in their life. They're faced with uh, a crossroads and questioning themselves if they, if they can make it or not for the first time in their lives. And if they don't have the support, if they don't have the infrastructure to catch them when they're at their most down points and when they're when they need the most help, oftentimes they stray off and they, they're just led to different paths. And sometimes that path is just to say forget it all and go back and, and do something completely different that is that is uh, unfulfilled and un- unproductive or non-productive rather. So what our book does is, is it basically shows, you know, our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities. And it shows that, you know, we're, we're all board certified physicians. We're successful, but nobody gave us anything. We didn't get there just because we, we came from the best schools or we, we, we had something given to us. We struggled. We failed. We, we, we uh, had setbacks. We had, you know, um, you know, things in which all of all three of us had come up against that we had to get help. We had to reach reach to one another. We had to pull strength from our family. We had to, more importantly, pull strength from each other to get past it. And if anything anybody can get from our book is to say that, you know, when you have a driven kid and you have a kid that wants to achieve the success and they come and they say, hey, I'm I'm failing. I'm doing this. I can't get past this. Whatever. Read the book and show that uh, you know there are things. There are there's a blueprint to success. There's a way to get past these hurdles and obstacles. For us in medicine, you know, like like Joe was just saying, you know, we failed uh, the USMLE step one. I have uh, kids that reach out to me now saying they they, they failed. Uh, this test and what do I do now? What what's what what's the the next the next step? We didn't really have that, you know. Joe and I re- really didn't have that. We just had each other, and but we're just gonna have to, um, you know, just tie our bootstraps together and 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 pull each other up. Whereas these kids now, we we're 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 arguing that they need to. Um, have the outlets. They need to have other doctors. They need to have engineers. They need to have people that have have reached these high levels of, of success and reach back and start showing them the things that they need to do to get past these. And don't let any counselor or anybody that doesn't believe in you tell you that you can't make it because you can't. 
and you're going to be depressed. You're going to hit these lows, but there is a, a light at the end of the tunnel and that you can get past it. Yeah. You know, when you said that, it made me think about how so many, how so many people, they become successful and then they like kind of forget about the hood. I think it's important for people to reach back and to help someone else who's coming up after them, because that's how we truly do bring our us together as a community. That's how we all get to the other side is when we not forget about the people that are that were behind us. And when you have these, you know, the images such as yourself seeing like, wow, there's a black doctor, because I remember the first black doctor I saw was my dentist. And I will never for, forget uh, Dr. Brown. He when he found out that I was going to Howard, he was so happy because, you know, that's when he went to med uh, dental school. And so um but that was my first um, interaction. It actually felt like somebody actually cared about me, like as a person, not just like, oh, this is just a patient and I'm, you know, I'm treating them. And so those images are extremely important. And I think it's one of the things to I've also wanted to ask you is in terms of your book. So one of the things that I'm going to do is, um, well, I'm going to purchase a copy for myself, but I'm also going to purchase a copy and uh, do it. I have a giveaway for a listener on the podcast. And because I think what you guys are doing is great. And if I'm, can you let me know about, I believe on one of your interviews, are you part of the proceeds? They go to giving scholarships away to other children. Can uh, one of you explain how that works? Yeah. So, so we have, this is Pierre talking. So, um, we, Pulse of Perseverance is also a non-profit uh, organization, um, in which we do just that. We, we, we take our resources and we are practicing what we preach. We're investing into our, our kids. We're investing into the next generation. We're investing in, uh, you know, kids that want to, uh, do that change in narrative, shift the culture. So we, um, have, we all decided that, you know, all the proceeds from the book, we, uh, put them into, um, a non-for-profit, uh, to our non-for-profit. And then we give that back into monthly scholarships. So every month we give a scholarship, uh, to that young male or female that, uh, displays the post of perseverance. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> This is Max. I'm talking. So, and the reason why we we deemed that that was extremely important, uh, the process of actually giving the monthly scholarship, is because um, there are a multitude of factors. But one of the biggest things is we know that um, um, when you think about it, the, the way the world is changing, education as a whole is under attack, and we know that as people who are basically always at the as persons of color at the bottom of the social order. Um, you know, we, we tell our kids, go to school, go to school, go to school, but, and they go to school, but like Pierre was mentioning that a lot of times we're, we're underprepared because we don't necessarily have the, the resources from those kids at those top private schools who are getting the, the, the best education, the best teachers, and the best uh, access to everything um, as they travel through their academic careers. But then we tell our, we also tell our kids to go to school. Well, there's a huge, there's a larger financial burden that comes along with that. If you look at mm -hmm. any, any data or any research um, when it comes to uh, black millennials versus white millennials, our kids, we always have the largest amount of debt 
coming out of college or, or coming out of any post-secondary graduate education. So um, it's, it's, it, we're in a highly dangerous time right now because we need to start um, relieving some of that burden. If we're telling some of our kids to go to school to get an education, A, it's for what? For, for what they can, what is it that they can potentially use those degrees for? But for those people who, who value education, we also we have to provide safety valves to relieve some of that pressure so they can the kids can continue to want to go to school. You know, if 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 the amount of debt that you that, that you're going to school for outweighs the, your your potential salary by by hundreds of thousands of dollars, then again, when you're when you're at these difficult transition periods in your life, you, you're almost looking at it like, well, wh- what is it all for? Well, we are here as products of education to say, okay, this is what it's here for. We as individuals who can, who have the resources and the means, we are going to help you. So we need more of our, more of our people in communities. This is to, um, not only for ourselves, but it's to motivate others in our community who have made it to do more. We need to do more. It's, this is not something that you can depend on our government to do. And when you're talking about, um, and how this ties into everything. When you're talking about helping, how do you help that child? Finance is one thing. Support is one thing. Being a mentor is one thing. All of those things play a very major role in the development of our next generation. So one thing that that's only one small thing that the that the scholarship can do. We, if if we had the opportunity, we would give way more. But we're only three people. What if we had 3,000 people or 30,000 people who are vested the same way we are. We can, we believe that we can really transform lives and change communities and change habits and patterns of what people do once they accomplish their goals and how they still have an onus and a responsibility to pay it forward every time, particularly when you're blessed and fortunate. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. There, what I see in you all is that how you guys are, you know, you're amazing individually, but together you're like a a powerful force because you all put your minds together, your resources together, and you form this, you know, this brotherhood and being able to take everything that you've experienced and that you've, um, you've learned and pouring it into the next generation, which is so crucial. So if anyone is interested in, uh, well, if there's any uh, college students who may be listening, how would they find out more information about the scholarship? One of the things that this is Joe talking, one of the things that we have set up, we have a, um, a website and that website is www.thepulse.com. Um, of p3.com that's the t-h-e pulse p-u-l-s-e of p3.com you can also uh, follow us on um on facebook in which that is the official pulse of p3 and then instagram which is pulse of p3 um those are the 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 avenues that you could take to follow us and also apply for the scholarship that we actually have. 
Thank you. Thank you. And I, you know, before you guys go, I do have two um, last things that I would like to ask you is one, how do you all with you all? I know someone mentioned being, you know, a husband and having children and you, you know, you have this nonprofit, but you're also a doc, you know, you're all doctors. How do you practice self-care as black men? Because sometimes we tend not to, I don't, I know self-care is a big, uh, everyone's talking about it now, but I usually hear a lot of um, women talking about it. And so I really think it's important to talk about how, you know, what are the things that you do to take care of yourself so that you can be the best doctor, the best dad, the best husband, you know, the best community leader. I think this is Max. I'm talking again. I think um, you hit the nail on the head. I think for us, um, based off of our, our backgrounds and what we've come from, not only do we have each other, um, but I think for all of us, um, we found the ultimate sense of uh, fulfillment. And mm-hmm. uh, sometimes, you know, for, for people, fulfillment means different things. And, and the, the definition of what what is fulfilling for you? I think for for me, the reason why I'm in such a, I feel like I'm in such a great space is not only because I have uh, a team around me um, who I can respectfully look back on and they will tell me um, everything that I need to hear. You know, I have people around me who are completely non-judgmental, um, even when I'm going through something or when I'm not going through something. You know, when I'm going through something, I know that these are people that I can trust and I can confide in. And also, if, you know, if, if I'm making a, a, a decision that is would not necessarily behoove me, they are people that will be able to hold me accountable as well. And then the last thing is this mission that what we're doing is is not only so important, so necessary, but it it actually improves my day, meaning that I don't take trivial things that's going on at my job, at my direct job, home with me. Because I know that uh, with this sense of fulfillment, I feel like we all have a greater purpose in life. And so the things that may be going on in, in, in at work, I'm not bringing that home with me anymore. People are like, oh, Dr. Madera, you're so nice nowadays. You're, the reason why I think when people get to a certain, uh, when people get to a certain space and you don't have, you don't have those trivial things bothering you anymore. When you realize what your purpose is in life, you start letting a lot of the things that may have been bothering you before you start letting those things go. So that's the only thing I would say. I would say finding your true your true life purpose and your true passions, when you chase your passions, that leads to a lot of balance and a lot of uh, self-satisfaction within your own personal okay. life. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I, I, I'll be, my mine's will be really short and, 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 and I can only go by, this is Joe speaking in reference to, you know, one of the biggest things that was always, like I said, my mom was very heavily in church. So there's always something that um, your your parents would teach you and that you would keep it with you for life. And that, for me, <clears throat> was the serenity prayer. And towards the end of the serenity prayer, it says something in reference 
to um, courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. And that, that carries me a long way because um, a lot of times what you spend occupying a lot of issues that you deal with is uh, in reference to the things that you can't change even if you wanted to change it. And and I go off of what Max said, and, and that is, is uh, especially in my profession, there's some things that actually go on that no matter how bad you want to change it, it's not going to change. And you can't spend a lot of time, like they used to say, don't cry over spilled milk. You can't spend a lot of time trying to focus on those things that you're not going to be able to make a difference with, even if you try. Uh, but the pertinent things um, that's in your life, the ones that you really um, know that you can make a difference with, um, you have a sense of um, joy about, and and that comes the part of communicating. And how do how do we deal with it with our families? How do we deal with with our jobs? We communicate um, with each other in reference to um, what we're doing in our communities, um, what we're doing with the organization. Um, we communicate with our wives, or our spouse, and our family, our family members, um, and then um, we communicate as, as as effective as we can um, at our jobs, and then um, we just try to make it in a way that we can approach things in a more systematic way that can help us all, so that uh, everybody's on the same page, and that um, no one feels lack of of importance. Um, in our homes or at our jobs. I guess, I guess for me, just real quick, um, I, I definitely uh, um, agree with 100% with what my brothers are saying. You know, you got to have your infrastructure, got to have people around you. Uh, you know, you get fulfillment from, from, from others that support you. Um, but, you know, even more importantly, as we, as we tell the kids that we talk to and even adults that we talk to, is that you, you got to be happy with doing what you want to do in life. And a lot of times, uh, you know, we settle, um, you know, people settle for, you know, the quick dollar, people settle for just a paycheck. Uh, you know, if you go to work and you go into a nine to five and you're just going through the motions and you're, you're, you're not feeling a purpose driven life or, or something that is, you know, fulfilling to you and it's empty, be honest with yourself and, and, and tell yourself, you know, and talk to yourself and, and, and find out exactly what you want to do in this life. And once you once you start living your purpose and, and know that you are every day that you are doing exactly what you want to do and what you are expected to do in this life, happiness always comes. You know, like for us, um, you know, we, we pushed ourselves all these years to be physicians, to help people um, and to, you know, and to, and to live our creed as far as that's concerned. And we're happy with that. But one thing and what, what forced and pushed this movement was that, you know, we all three of us sat down and we said, like, yeah, that's good, man. We accomplished stuff, but we are, we're unfulfilled. We don't feel like this is enough. This is not just enough just to be a physician, you know, and take care of your family. It's, it's seas of kids out here. It's a sea of kids out here that, are, that need us, that, you know, every time you turn on the TV, you know, kids are getting shot and brutalized by the police. And, and, and all of these things are happening in our, in our immediate environment. And if we just watch that and we just were just rested on our laurels and, uh, you know, just went on with our day-to-day -day life of being physicians, 
we would have started, we would have really started to become depressed, honestly. And it was because we talked to each other and because we listened to our inner selves of saying that, look, it's, it's, it's more work that needs to be done. It's things that need to be done. We have a higher purpose and we're living that purpose. We're, we're pushing to fulfill that purpose. Happiness comes from that, you know? And so for anybody that, uh, you know, is, is, is dealing with, you know, what, what your purpose is or what it is, you know, you got to sit back and, and really, you know, do some introspective thinking and uh, see how you can be, can live a purpose-driven life and impact the world in your own particular way. And happiness after that follows. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think that it's really great that you, that you shared that. Um, it's the huge thing is self-fulfillment. And when people don't feel like they have a purpose or they feel like they can't obtain that purpose, that does contribute to some, you know, for some people, it does contribute to depression and contribute to their low self-esteem and those things that impact our mental health. And so before you, um, you gentlemen go, if you can just one thing that you would share to a young black boy who will listen to this podcast episode, um, what words of encouragement would you say to him? I could go first. This, this is Pierre talking. Um, and I would tell him that, uh, number one, it's, 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 I don't care how old you are. It's unacceptable to not have a goal. If you take your time to, you know, play video games, if you take your time to be on social media, take that half hour every day to do just a little bit of research and to figure out what you like and what it is you want to do set a goal for yourself and what that does for our young kids it puts it puts it implants a seed very early and it gives you something to work for and mind you like you know personally I, I knew exactly what i wanted to do when i was you know a very very young kid but that's not everybody but once you set this goal for yourself then if you if you find that you want you don't really want that goal, the the most important thing you do is you create another goal, and you create another goal, and one of those goals are going to be exactly what's for you. But if you don't set a goal at all of, of higher excellence and success, then you'll never achieve it. The second thing I would tell them is is that don't ever let anybody tell you whatever goal that you are set to achieve or that you put in your heart and your mind that you want to achieve it. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you can't do it because you're a hundred percent. If you put your hundred percent into anything you want to do that your mind can control, not that somebody has to choose you to pick. Like, you know, we tell, we tell kids like this all the time. Like, yeah, if you want to become a professional athlete, you know, that that's fine is a goal, but realize that's a goal that you really don't have much control over. Some of the, the best athletes and entertainers in the world never get that opportunity because someone has to choose them and, and see the value in them to get that opportunity. However, when you choose something that your mind can control, whether it be a lawyer, engineer, a physicist, or any of the, uh, of, of the higher level of success professions that there are, your mind controls it. So when your mind can control it, your success level is 100% if you give your 100% and anything that you give your 100% is always good enough and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And this, this is, is Joe speaking. Oh, go ahead, Joe. Go ahead, Joe. Oh, this is Joe speaking. Uh, what, I, what I would say 
is um, for the youth um, is to step out and do the best they can, um, just like what um, Pierre said, to approach their goals. But one of the biggest things that um, that we deal with, especially in our community, is that we're afraid. Um, we don't want to say what we're afraid of, but one of the biggest things that we're afraid of is failing. And and I would say to them, you know, take that fear away because you're not going to have failure to be an option. Um, that's something that we we strive to say all the time, and that you could keep trying. And just like um, Pierre said, if you give 110 percent, you're going to be able to achieve what you want to achieve. But we gotta we gotta get to a point, or we have to get to a point that we really push to achieve those higher levels of educations, um, regardless on what people around you may say, um, and regardless the self-doubt um, that you may have within yourself, we have to be able to say that we're going to keep trying, um, we're going to keep focused, and we're going to achieve that, that higher level um, that we have the option to receive. Um, and that is, is that is, um, we could be um, lawyers, we could be doctors, we could be judges, um, we could be um, all of the, the 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 things that we don't necessarily see a lot of people um, that look like us um, achieve, but we can do it and we can make a change. So that's what I would say. Go ahead and push forward. Um, on those higher levels of achievements that you want. And don't be afraid to fail because it's when you fail that the best is going to come out of you as long as you keep pushing. And this is Max talking. Um, just to piggyback on what my brother is saying, once you, once you do find a goal and once you settle down on that goal, what you need to do is make sure that you you surround yourself with non-judgmental people and you surround anybody who you feel like is toxic in your life that is is wearing on you mentally um you have to find a way to disassociate yourself from those people and uh, it's unfortunate um in a lot of times um those people actually they they can be in our homes <laughs> it could be a sibling it could be a cousin it could be uh, a grandparent, yeah, aunt, uncle, mother, or father, whoever those people are who are who are weighing you down and not allowing you to function at your highest capability, your highest mental capacity, you have to find a way to um, make sure those are the people who are not influencing your decisions in a way that's detrimental to your future your, or your present and your mental capacity. Um, the second thing I, w I would tell kids, particularly in the times that we live in, is a. Um, but I see this now because I see it in in my younger cousins. Is unfortunately, we use social media to um, validate ourselves, and particularly the kids, because this is the era that they they've grown up in. So they're constantly looking for approval about what's cool or what's right or whether or not they're doing a good job or searching for the likes in regards to um, whether or not that that can propel them. 
you can't do that. You you, you have to realize that social media is um, in, in many regards, particularly for the kids, can be to your detriment. So what you have to do is is, is be able to, uh, like we said before, get off the video games, get off the social media and really look around you in your immediate environment and look around and see who are the people who you would like to emulate. Who are the people that you would like to say, okay, if I'm going to take it to another level, if I hate the way my community looks, or if I, I don't like the way, you know, I don't like things that are going on in, in my school or on my block, like who are the people that are actually going to help me propel to a whole nother level so I can reach back and help those coming behind me? Um, so that that aspect of surrounding, again, surrounding yourself with positive, like-minded people that is invaluable. It's something that's always been said, you know, for me when I was coming up, you know, one of one of my one of my mentors said, look, you show me the 10 people that you surround yourself with and I will, I can I can damn near predict the outcome of your life. And once he told me that and I actually instilled that into my own whole into my own life, my whole life changed. And I don't think I don't even know if there's a price tag that you can put on that. The the more we surround ourselves with people who give off good energy, who give off who give off positive reaffirmations, you see you can see the change. Those those are the same people that will help you lift you out of times of darkness when it does get hard for you and when it does get rough. Your 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 net worth your network is your net worth. And that's all I gotta say. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My words cannot thank all three of you gentlemen enough for taking time out of your day to just share your story. I'm truly inspired. And I know people who listen to the podcast will truly be inspired. And I will definitely be connecting with you on social media, as well as keeping up, seeing what you guys have going on. Like I said, I'll be purchasing two copies of the book and like I said, probably actually more because I do have five brothers. Um, and so I do, and, and I'm, you know, the big sister. And so I, I, I am very concerned about, you know, their future and the things that they've experienced with, you know, the abuse from their father to our mom and how that will impact them and how their future will turn out. And I do have one of my brother who's right under me, who's actually incarcerated. And he has been since he was, I believe, 23 and he'll be 28 in September and he'll just be coming home. And so, uh, you know, that's why I'm so moved. And I think by your story and I'm so emotional because of the five brothers, uh, younger brothers that I have. So again, I just want to thank you all and I wish you much success And I know that your platform will continue to grow and continue to inspire others. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Thanks for having us. I hope that you obtain tools and resources from the Fireflies Unite podcast to help you manage your mental health. But please do not use it as a substitute for a relationship with a licensed therapist or psychiatrist. Let's continue the conversation by following me on Fireflies Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.